Welcome to The Den Tapes, a podcast dedicated to the reading of horror fiction. I'm your host, Tony. So go ahead, sit back, relax, and let's see if we can give you a case of the heebie-jeebies. This week's episode contains graphic, explicit material. Listener discretion is advised. Today's story is called The Recipe Book. Claire Dunmore slid the second 18-karat gold Tiffany earring into her earlobe as she answered her son. I'm in here! Her son flopped down on her bed and asked what was for dinner. But then, noticing how dressed up she was, he changed the subject. Mom, where are you going? Didn't you go out dancing last night? He tried to sound disappointed, but he actually liked seeing his divorced, heartbroken mother finally leaving their loft and having some fun. Oh, I'm going to dinner tonight, so you're on your own for dinner. Order some pizza, or maybe that baked ziti that you like from down the street, she said as she smiled at him through the mirror. Oh, yeah, pizza sounds great. Yeah, I'm going to do that. He popped up off the bed and hopped over to her, giving her a light peck on the cheek. Good luck on your date. She smacked his shoulder. It's not a date. He gave her a stern look and then moved his judgmental gaze down towards the designer heels she was wearing. Okay, fine, it's a date. Look, I met him this morning at Freda's while I was picking up coffee after church. He's sweet, and he's taking me to Lake Cochon for dinner. Her son rolled his eyes. Be careful, Mom. You said Dad was sweet for 20 years. Now you're divorced. She smacked him in the shoulder again. Like your father, I liked you better when you were younger, too. She pinched him on the arm lightly. He pulled away playfully. Okay, I think I'm ready she whispered to herself. Claire turned to check out how her ass looked and the jeans she was wearing. She smiled. She was satisfied. I'll see you in the morning, okay? Her son nodded as he walked with her to the living room of their Tribeca third floor loft. She pulled him in for a kiss on the cheek. You know, you're still my baby boy. I don't care how old you are. Enjoy your pizza. He smiled and showed her the food delivery app he had pulled up on the screen of his phone. She stuck her tongue out at him, and he returned a goofy look. The door closed, latching shut. Later that night, Chef Robert Garvin wiped the sweat from his brow. The boiler of his less-than-swanky apartment building raged in front of him. He looked at his phone, the timer reading there was one minute and 34 seconds left before the bones were able to be pulverized. He slid his toolbox close and pulled out his meat mallet. He silenced the timer and pulled the perforated tray from the flames. The pile of carbonized, smoldering, brittle bones popped and sizzled. He counted as he brought the hammer down lightly, as not to make too much noise. 43, 44, 
45. That should do it, he thought to himself. He returned the tray into the belly of the broiler and upturned it. The dust illuminated as it was sucked up the exhaust chute, reminding him of Summers as a kid watching the bonfire spit out flecks of burning wood as his old man stirred the logs. He returned to his apartment with ten minutes to spare before he pulled the brazed innards out of the stove. The knob popped into the off position as he looked at the clock. An hour and a half to shower, feed the dogs in the back alley, that's who the various offals stewed in aromatics were for, and get a few hours of shut-eye before ordering an Uber to meet Riley for lunch. He made sure to scrub himself from head to toe, under the nails, between the fingers and toes. Ah, if only the health department could see, they'd be so impressed, he thought. He transferred the food out of his two-gallon Dutch oven and into a large, disposable serving dish, tasted the broth, and smiled. Magnifique, he whispered. The strays in the alley whimpered and snarled as they clamored over each other to get their fill. Robert watched, tissing and whistling, at any of them hogging the grub. Lick it clean, boys. That's right, right. Good boy, good boy, he said, bending down to inspect the foil tray. That's clean enough for me, fellas, he murmured as he tossed the tray into the dumpster. Lying down, finally, he peered up at the shelf holding all of his personal handwritten recipe books, the ones you always see cooks pulling from and stuffing into the pockets of their chef whites. He thought about his current one in the pocket of his coat hanging at the restaurant, awaiting his next entry. Ah, I need to get a new one. That one is almost full. He howled lightly through a yawn. A few hours later, his alarm, along with the late morning sun beaming through the window, awoke him. Mm, What will it be this week, Riley? He typed out and then sent the message. Almost immediately, Riley's response chimed through. Pastrami, in all caps. Detective Harvey Morris handed his partner a fresh cup of coffee and watched the kid who had just stormed in storm off angrily. What the hell was that all about? He asked his partner. Vance Ford answered. Kid thinks his mom is in trouble. Went out on some date she didn't come home. Showed me her Instagram post from last night. If you ask me, she looked like she was looking to get dicked down. Told the kid that there was nothing to worry about, just an adult out doing adult things. Detective Morris chuckled. Dick down, huh? Was she was she hot? He asked jokingly. Ford looked up at him from his desk. Oh yeah, and rich. Oh boy, you could tell the earrings she had in were worth some fucking change. Morris laughed and motioned for him to get up from his desk. Come on, let's go get the day started. We still have to check out that lead. Ford looked at him, puzzled, as he slid on his blazer. You remember that guy who set his librarian sister up and vanished a few months ago? Morris muttered after sipping his coffee. Ford shook his head, affirming that he did understand. Dude, do you, do you remember that guy? Ah, shit, what was his name? Robert asked Riley. He snapped his fingers a few times in Riley's direction as he looked down at the tabletop that held their sandwiches. You know, the guy who used to come and sharpen all the knives at the Willow Room when you and I worked there. He would come in every Tuesday, he'd do hours, then he'd run over to Blassett's, head over to the Bistro Reinhardt, And then that other spot that used to be across from Marco's convenience store. 
He snapped his fingers again, frustrated he couldn't remember. Riley answered quickly through a mouthful of pastrami, mustard, and rye. Gang bao. Mmm. It was that, that, uh, really nice Chinese place. Riley finished chewing and smacked his hand lightly on the table. Brentworth! George. It was George Brentworth. He paused. Maybe, I think, something like George? Maybe it was Gary? Robert snapped his fingers one final time and pointed at Riley. Gregory. Greg Brentwood. That was his name. Robert glanced over Riley's shoulder, taking in how nice of a day it was. He watched the crowd bustling across the square where he and Riley met for lunch every Monday. People buzzing around, car horns blaring, women clad in high fashion shooting videos for all their social media followers. Fat men with earpieces clamoring on about buying this and selling that, dogs on leashes, a group of teens on bikes. He took it all in as he muttered, man, that Greg could really sharpen a knife, couldn't he? He looked back to his lunchmate and didn't quite know how to answer the question Riley posed. Uh, what made you think of him? Robert knew exactly why he had thought about the man that used to sharpen knives so well that they were almost too dangerous to use. But he could never tell Riley the truth. He couldn't get his longest standing friend involved in the chaos he had created. The chaos he had perfected. Plus, he didn't know how Riley would react if he blurted out the atrocities of his true personal life. It was best to keep his secret hidden, deep inside, away from the people he cared about. There was only a few. Everyone in his life this far was kept in the dark and at arm's length. No one knew about his twisted take on fine dining. Not one person would understand. For the few that he allowed to know right before he slid the blade across their throats, it was nothing more than a confession. He would explain how they weren't only feeding his passion for death, but how they would play a meaningful part in a much bigger picture. Deep down, he knew he was admitting he had a problem, that he was apologizing to them for what he was about to do. But what irked him most about Riley was the fact that he was the only person he allowed himself to get minutely close to in recent years. The only other human he had bonded with over food, its meticulous preparation, and the flavor that could be melded and tweaked. He once had a sneaking suspicion that Riley had a darkness just like he had been shielding. Something about Riley's demeanor back in the kitchen where they first cut their teeth as young cooks caused Robert to raise an eyebrow from time to time. He considered telling Riley in the few seconds after he had asked that he had thought about Greg Brentwood the night before while the scimitar he used had to be maneuvered in more of a hacking motion rather than a fine, thin slice. He then remembered a time when he had watched Riley slice through a New York strip loin in the kitchen at the Willow Room the crease of a smile forming on the corners of his mouth as the stakes fell from the blade. Once he realized that he had sat in a prolonged, uncomfortable silence, he answered simply with, Ah, uh, you know, a cook is only as good as his tools. Thought about maybe looking him up for my knives at the restaurant. You know, if he's still around. Hell, that was, what, 12 years ago? Riley nodded at the answer as he took another bite. Again through a mouth stuffed full with meat and bread, he said, Mmm, mean, yeah, me too. Mine are pretty dull. Robert's days off landed on Sunday and Monday. Being the chef of the hip, no-ho hedge place was daunting, but 
he could always count on having his two days off to feed the other passion he had in life. Riley had Mondays and Tuesdays off. He had remained a line cook all these years, always explaining to Robert he didn't have the time to dedicate that much of his life to a job that paid pennies compared to what he intended to truly do with his life, which was finish up trade school and be an elevator and escalator repair tech. Their days off lining up like they did ensured that Robert could have Saturday late into the night and all day Sunday to himself, rounding out and finishing up what he called his work by late Monday morning, just in time to meet Riley for lunch. Robert liked to do his hunting Saturday night, his tailing Sunday morning, and his butchering later that night. He would clean up in the morning hours on Monday and then, bang, before he knew it, life was back to normal, shoving some sort of handheld meal into his mouth and shooting the shit with Riley. Just like he had done today before meeting his friend for pastrami, in all caps. Two nights earlier, Robert had gone over the dailies, the prep list, and ordering with his sous chef before whisking himself out the back door Saturday evening while the kitchen pumped out the final few orders of the night. He shimmied in and out of crowds at various bars and clubs for a few hours before he saw her dancing at the jukebox of Bobbitt's Tavern. He watched as she rumbled and tumbled with a few friends to the likes of Bob Seeger and Cool and the Gang. She was a full-figured woman who clearly took care of herself. Robert, sifting in his pocket for a few dollar bills, made his way over to the jukebox undetected, just close enough and for long enough to learn her name, Claire Faraday. But now, just Dunmore, because of the divorce, eavesdropping from the digital screen where he had pulled up disco hits. Dancing Queen popped on as he scurried around a few tables and back to the bar. The group of friends dancing squealed with excitement. Robert immediately began social media stalking Claire Dunmore. Picture after picture of her living her best life around the city. Freda's fine sweets seemed like her favorite place for a pastry and a cup of coffee. He glanced back at her once more before upturning his pint and finishing it. Just like clockwork, Claire Dunmore was at Freda's the following morning, and Robert, being as dashing as he could be, made first contact by complimenting her choice of pastry. Mmm, that's a great one. You know, that's exactly what I ordered. She smiled and was not bashful. Great minds think alike. I'm Claire, and you are. She held out her hand with a flirty giggle. Robert introduced himself and offered to walk with her. In the few short minutes he was able to make contact, He had lined up a date at a restaurant no one would ever believe he had ever been to. Hey, 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 you're that guy. You're him. You are him. Robert and Riley both turned to see a kid in his early 20s yelling from across the square as he popped up his skateboard and trotted over to where they were sitting. Robert shook his head playfully and asked, Wait, dude, who am I exactly? Distracted by his phone, clearly scrolling quickly, the kid answered, The guy who went out with my mom last night. She said she had a date. Look, dude, she posted a selfie. Right here, look, look. The kid turned his phone and held it up in front of Robert. Fuck, he thought. There on the screen was the budding, beautiful single mother named Claire he had spotted Saturday night after his shift at Hedge Place. The picture he was being shown was indeed a selfie, posted to show herself off to the world. 
but in the reflection of the mirrored wall behind her, clear as day, was Robert ordering something from the server. Uh, not me, dude. There are plenty of scruffy white dudes that own suits in this city. As the words jumped from his lips, the memory of his scimitar crushing Claire's esophagus as the blood bubbled, and her hysterical pleading turned to desperate gurgling raced through his mind, her body writhing as she tried to get loose from the restraints. He fought off a smirk as the kid rolled his eyes and turned the phone to Riley. Come on, man, tell me you can see that this is him. Riley looked over at Robert, raised an eyebrow, and then looked to the screen. Nah, kid, I know that's not him. I'll tell you why, because he'd never be caught dead at Lake Lachon. That place is outdated with a bloated ego. My man right here, he's got a reputation to uphold. The kid grunted and slid the phone into his back pocket. He bent over and tears began to form. He looked Robert in the eyes so hard that Robert was worried the kid could see the blackened, hellish soul he kept hidden inside. Look, man, if that is you, I need to know, man. My mom's, she didn't come home last night. And the cops, well, man, they fucking suck, saying she's old enough to disappear if she wanted to. Told me I had to wait like three or four days. I ain't waiting, man. I need to find her. So if you know where the fuck she's at, you need to fucking tell me, dude. For a quick second, Robert wondered if the kid had followed his mom the night before when they went to eat. If he had been trailing him all this time. Nah, couldn't be. He would have been much more forceful. He would have been violent and confrontational, Robert thought to himself. He stood up. I'm sorry, kid. I wish it was me in that picture so I could help you out, but it isn't. The kid whatevered at both Riley and Robert. The skateboard clacked loudly as it hit the cobblestones and continued on rhythmically as the kid scooted off to the street. That wasn't you, right? Riley asked. Robert knew he had one advantage in life, that he had been blessed with looking completely and utterly ordinary. And the fact that Riley asked sincerely if that had been him in the picture made that fact sink in further. Definitely not. What? You think I'd have snails and lamb tongue without you? Robert joked. I would never step foot in that stuck-in-the-90s crapshoot, Riley said, balling up the empty wrapper and standing. Come on, let's go grab a drink. You're paying since I got lunch. Riley always got lunch. Robert would always offer, but Riley wouldn't let him put a dime towards the cost. The following Thursday night, in the heat of a blistering service, Robert was summoned to the back door by his sous chef. Who is it? You know we're busy as fuck, Robert said with disdain. Jerry said it's the cops. The sous chef pointed over to the dishwasher, who nodded. Take the wheel and expo for me. Robert motioned to the sous chef to replace him at the pass. He flung the back door open. In the alleyway, under the lamp, stood two detectives in beat-up suits. Hey, sorry, chef. Uh, we know you're busy, but just a few questions and then we'll be out of your hair, okay? The older detective asked as he held out his hand to shake Robert's. Uh, Detectives Morris and Ford, five minutes, and then we'll be on our way, I promise. Robert shook the guy's hand and acknowledged the other with a smile. Yeah, go for it. Is this, uh, this doesn't happen to be about Jerry, does it? Robert asked quickly. Uh, who is Jerry? The younger detective stepped forward. 
Oh, he's our dishwasher. Always seems to be dodging some sort of trouble. Knew you guys were cops by just looking at you. The two detectives looked at each other. I got him, Robert thought. He knew Jerry looked almost identical to himself. Basic white male, hair in all the right places, brown eyes, nothing to stand out. This is exactly why he hired Jerry in the first place. Fresh out of a dime at Rikers for an assault. An assault on a woman. Plus, they were the same age. Something Cooks would give Jerry grief over. Same age as Chef! You should be running a place of your own, dumbass! The older detective held up a picture on a tablet. Hey, is this you? Sunday night? At Lake O'Shawn? There was a circle in white ink drawn over his face. It was the same picture the kid had confronted him with. Oh, not a chance in hell. That place is just not my cup of tea. I would never spend my money there. Plus, I used to work with one of the guys that runs the place, Robert said. The other detective looked at the screen and shook his head. See, I told you that kid was hell-bent. We don't know who the fuck that is. I mean, it could be anybody. Another handshake and another apology. Sorry for pulling you away, chef. Sorry. Robert raised a hand, letting them know it was okay. But it also conveyed how annoyed he was at being absent for the busiest part of the night. After a few steps towards the car, the lead detective turned back and asked, Hey, uh, this Jerry, he got a, he got a last name? Robert nodded quickly and blurted out, Delvin, Jerry Delvin. The detective took note and waved. Robert returned to the action, unfazed. He gazed over at the dish pit where Jerry was sweating from the steam of the machine unloading and reloading racks with plateware. Robert let part of himself hate the fact that he was going to use Jerry as a patsy because he really did like his work. And you know what? Jerry was reliable. But Jerry being questioned and investigated for a few weeks would lead the case of Claire Dunmore to go cold. Robert had done this many times before. If one were to take a good hard look at every employee to ever leave his kitchen crew, Every single one left due to being investigated by the cops. But in the booming restaurant scene of New York City, things like that just aren't scrutinized. The following Monday at lunch with Riley, Robert asked, You know any good dishwashers looking for work? Our lead guy at night has uh, some legal problems he needs to tend to. Riley shook his head and muttered through chews, Nope, Mm. but if you find two, send the one you don't want my way. We need one during the lunch shift. The two of them sat quietly on the patio of Frenetti's, sipping their Italian sodas, stuffing their mouths with heroes. Every now and then, glancing at their phones, scrolling for something interesting to chat about. Holy shit, man. This is that kid's mom from last week. You remember that kid? The one on the skateboard said he thought you were the one in the selfie with her? Riley placed his sandwich on the tray and continued. Claire Dunmore. 45 of Trebekah has been missing since last Sunday. A suspect has been questioned, but no further leads at this time. Dunmore is 5 feet 7 inches tall, 180 pounds. Robert smirked and cut off Riley's reading. Huh, back when I was a kid, there was this butcher shop around the corner from where I grew up. Mom, she never went in there. She and Dad never made enough money to buy the nice stuff, you know. It was always canned ravioli and rice that kind of shit. I wandered in there one day. I was probably 14 years old. I had 20 bucks on me from cutting grass with some friends out in Poughkeepsie for the summer. 
was going to go buy a couple of steaks for the old man to grill off. But, man, when I walked in, that old butcher behind the counter had this just terrible, evil look on his face, like I had interrupted something important. I think he expected me to turn tail and book it out of there, but, you know, I didn't. I didn't really understand why he scowled at me like that. So he just rolled his eyes and looked back at the guy at the counter who was dressed in this really nice suit, had a bunch of gold jewelry on, you know the type. He said to this guy, don't worry about it. Any boiler in any old building can do it. That's why you come to me. It's all simple math. Because all adult human skeletons weigh about a hundred pounds. Trust me on that. The guy in the suit chuckled, thanked the butcher, and handed him a giant fat stack of cash. Dude, it creeped me out so bad that I ran out of there right then, like he expected me to do in the first place. I spent that 20 bucks on burgers and fries instead. Riley laughed. What the fuck are you talking about, man? Robert chuckled along with him. Sorry, I just couldn't help but think the lady that's missing would have about 65 pounds of actual meat on her bones. You know, without the innards accounted for if every adult skeleton weighs about 100 pounds. Robert paused, looking out at the square, and then continued his story without looking back to Riley. Man, you know, that place was my first job. That old butcher disposed of bodies for the mob. You know, he once told me human flesh tastes a lot like pork said it was kind of sweet, really fatty. He turned back to Riley. At how ridiculous his thought process sounded, Riley rolled his eyes and slowed his giggling. He scoffed. This business really fucks us up, doesn't it? He asked Robert jokingly. A poor woman is missing and here we are talking about 65 pounds of usable meat. He muttered as Robert watched him cackle under his breath. Riley shrugged and returned his focus to his phone. Finishing off the last bite of his sandwich, he watched as Riley fingered at the screen. Robert knew Riley was not wrong. This business does tend to mess with people's mental wherewithal. It was working for that old man back in his late teens that started this whole journey of his. So yes, this business did fuck him up. At least that's what he told himself. But he always knew it'd end up like this. Even as an early teen, he would fantasize about giving his mother more of a purpose in life. How, if she couldn't feed him, nourish him, he'd just feed on her. Luckily for Robert, he was able to keep that side of himself in check. Until, of course, he sloppily killed his first victim, getting caught in the basement of that old butcher shop by the man he worked for. Instead of turning the blood-soaked youngster into the cops, that old butcher leaned against the wall and told him, Mm, let me show you how it's really done, kid. I'm not getting any younger, and the Frenettis, they're going to need a disposal guy when I'm gone. He ushered Robert behind him, showed him how to heat the bones to where they would pulverize easily. They'll never turn to dust, ever, but you can easily break them apart small enough to make them look like burnt down little coals. Never leave them whole. Before you burn them, you have to separate all the flesh. What I do... It's just the same as I would do for any other animal. It's meticulous work, but if it's done well, your next step is easy as hell, kid. He showed Robert how to drain the body and hang it. Look, the muscles will relax after a day or two, okay? Make sure you do this in a cool, dry area. And kid, don't hack and slash when you kill, all right? You don't strike me as the angry type. Do it with some finesse, all right? Robert followed the old man upstairs and watched him sharpen a boning knife a scimitar, and a cleaver. 
As he was running the blade of the cleaver over the wet stone, he looked up at Robert. Have your kill shot also be your access wound for draining. Look, two fine slices diagonally from under the ear to the chest along the collarbone. Have them hung before you do it. Bucket under with soapy water in it. Pour that into the closest sewer drain. Do what you want with the meat, I don't give a fuck. I cook it to shit and feed it to the stray cats over by the dump. And most importantly, you gotta shave all the hair off and burn it. Look, it's gonna smell like shit, but it's got to be done. The old man paused. You give me your next paycheck, I'll do this one for you, and you can watch. He pointed the cleaver at Robert. Robert nodded and followed the man downstairs as he watched him clean up the mess he had just made, quite impressively. When it was all said and done, the man scooted a plastic bin containing the muscles, skin, and organs towards Robert. Like I said, do with it what you will. I don't want to know. Robert blurted out without thinking, What's it taste like? The old man was not phased by his question and answered simply with, Like pork. Fatty. Kind of sweet. While he washed his hands at the sink. Robert went off to CIA in Hyde Park shortly after that his parents completely unaware of how he could afford it. He didn't return to the butcher shop after culinary school, opting to take a job at the Willow Room, where he met Riley. There would be multiple takes on what happened to Claire Dunmore. Rich, upper-middle-class woman divorced with money tied up in a business ran by her ex-husband. Robert knew that after Jerry had been questioned for weeks, the detectives would start in on the X, diving into financials, cellular data, and investments, trying to turn an otherwise amicable split into a horrendous series of events. He also knew there would be no ties drawn to Brenda Dawson, the woman he eyed at a poetry reading at some hipster bar a few months back, reading from a vintage copy of Walden or Life in the Woods that she had brought with her from the library where she worked restoring classics. He remembered how sweet she was, how, even in the moment when she realized she was about to perish, she seemed reserved, reciting Greek death rites as he hoisted her up into the air. Nerds, he thought as he pretended to listen to Riley read some article about the uptick in some new food trend. But what was really running through his mind was that he would never tell Riley about the dark, evil shit he does in his own time. It would be better this way. No one gets hurt. Well, at least no one Robert cared about. It would be nice to have someone to share his work with, and maybe, just maybe one day, Riley would be that perfect someone. But Robert knew as soon as he did, he would be risking not only their friendship, but getting caught. He sighed and wished Riley would stop reading about Macho. He put his hands behind his head, locked his fingers, and gazed up at the buildings, and blurted out, Jesus, fuck, are you done yet? I need a beer. Riley stopped reading and gave Robert an oh yeah look. Robert offered a 20 to throw on the table, but Riley waved it away. Claire Dunmore would never be found. The cops would always have a lead, but that would paint out to be nothing. Her exuberant designer billfold, newest model iPhone, credit cards, and money would be missing from the purse that would be found in a dumpster an alley over from Hedge Place. Plenty of probable cause for them to bring Jerry back in. A dish of pork braised in saffron, cane sugar, and rum served over buttery, crunchy potatoes with onions 
would adorn the special sheet at Hedge Place until it sold out. And it did sell out, very quickly, all 65 pounds of it. Each customer who had smacked their lips and had sung praises of the dish would never know the amount of passion, of blood, of sweat, of tears, and years of training that had been poured into its near perfect preparation. This made Robert smile as he sat at his desk late at night writing out the instructions for the dish after everyone in his crew had clocked out and departed. He penned the letters to the phrase, reheat and jus, fortify with butter as the final line of the recipe. Momentarily, he thought about naming the dish pork with rum. But instead, he scrolled the name Claire atop the page before he closed his recipe book, wrapped a rubber band around it, and tucked it neatly into the chest pocket of his chef coat. Today's story was tracked, scored, mixed, and mastered at the Great Divide Den. I thank you for listening. Look forward to seeing you again next week for another case of the Heebie Jeebies.